I'm Stuart Coleman. I'm Learning and Business Development Director at the Open Data Institute, and this is the Inside Business Podcast. In this first episode of our second season of podcasts, we're going to be talking about data literacy. Should the ability to work with, understand and interpret data be regarded as a basic skill in a business rather than something the IT teams or IT or technology specialists or data scientists do? And if so, what do businesses need to do to help people uh, who aren't technical or who don't do statistics or computer science? I've got two business leaders with me today who I think it's probably fair to say know quite a lot about data. I'm going to start introducing Paul French. Paul, until recently, was Director of uh, Business Intelligence, Data Visualisation and Reporting at Nationwide Building Society. Paul is, I'm led to believe, currently perfecting his golf swing ahead of starting his new role at a relatively young insurance company, which I think he's going to tell us about a a bit later. And uh, I'm also delighted to be joined by Di Mays, who's an old friend and loyal Open Data Institute supporter. Di is Global Head of Data and Artificial Intelligence at WPP, a creative transformation company. Apparently, Di also invented and launched the UK's first detachable pram wrist strap um, known as Buggy Tug. Have we got that right, Di? You have. That takes me back. That was fun, that was. Thank you both for joining us. You've got um, the three R's, which we accept as baseline skills for most jobs. Uh, What people are now saying is that there's this fourth R that's just as important. Um, Paul, you started working for Nationwide 27 years ago, I think. Is that right? So so you're getting down in in Swindon quite a lot. Uh, I don't suppose anyone was talking about data or data literacy 27 years ago, were they? No, they weren't, Stuart. And I think for me, it's been over the last three or four years, I think, where this this term data literacy has started to be coined. And I think for me, the, the reason it's become really, really important is that as businesses become more digital, there is just more data available more of the time and decisions need to be made far more rapidly. And one of the things that I've definitely observed over my time with Nationwide is that in the same way that Um, people can be uh, very comfortable with numeracy or, uh, you know, literacy, language literacy. The data itself is a a skill that I've observed that some people actually have been quite fearful of, of using data. And therefore, we shouldn't assume that it comes naturally to people. And I think as data practitioners, we are sometimes a little guilty of that. So, that is definitely one of the things that I've observed. Um, and it, and for me, it needs to be in the context of what each employee needs to do with data. What I'm absolutely not saying is that everybody in an organization needs to become a data scientist. But if you're sitting on a counter uh, or you're on the phone working with our customers, you will be seeing different types of data all the time. And uh, it, you need to be able to understand Uh, and relate to that to make the best decisions, both on behalf of your customers, our customers, uh, but also um, the business as a whole. So that's why I think it's become really prominent uh, and critical. And it is all about the the human side of how do we equip people to feel confident and comfortable in using and exploiting data in their context. So you give me an example of people working in a perhaps a call centre environment who Many people might assume that they're not necessarily like, I don't know, a STEM graduate, for example, that they might not have come through that. But but what if you had to define what literacy is across an organisation, regardless of someone's 
background ed- educationally, but, but if you look at it as, as a kind of core fundamental need, what, what, what is it? What is data literacy? What should it mean? And how is it different to technical knowledge or ability? I think for me, I, I define it as the ability to read, uh, write, analyse and argue with data. And that essentially means that when you're potentially when you're presented with information, either through a, a, an operational system uh, or uh, more, in some cases, a more advanced analytic system, you have the ability to feel confident reading what it is that you're presenting with, presented with, understanding understanding it and being able to use it to make uh, make informed decisions. And I say informed because I hear lots of organisations talk about becoming data-driven. I passionately believe that it should be about data enablement because um, it's all about using your human brain to determine how best to utilise and make best use of that data. Otherwise, I think you get into a a sort of computer says no type uh, scenario if you say we want to become solely data driven. So how did, um, I mean, you, you were at Nationwide a lot, many years. How, how did you enable data literacy in, in the way you see it in that environment? So I think the way we tackled it was um, around five years ago, we refreshed our data strategy completely and uh, made it really closely aligned to our business outcomes and our business strategy. And at the time, uh, we uh, had recently appointed a new chief executive who was trying to engender a change in culture within Nationwide. So traditionally, it had been quite a sort of uh, hierarchical type organization. Uh, and the new chief executive had a real passion to um, encourage what we called accountable freedom. So uh, trying to remove some of the hierarchy, enable colleagues right across the business to feel confident about making decisions and being given the freedom to make those decisions. So for us, what we were able to do is to link the data strategy and the data culture and data literacy piece into that specifically, because what we were saying was, well, actually, if you want to achieve that business outcome, that cultural business outcome, then if we can equip equip people with the, the technology, the data and the skills to be able to use that data, that it really supports the business agenda around cultural change of becoming more, uh, giving more freedom, but accountability. So we we set out within the uh, data strategy to, uh, I created a, a program, a program that's, it's a bit grand to describe it as a program, but effectively six key themes, if you like, around what we were trying to do uh, to create more of a data culture. And some of those things were focused on uh, engagement, a large number of them were focused on engagement, actually, um, starting with the executive team. So we took uh, on a quarterly basis, we took the executive team out of their normal environment, took them somewhere else for a day and immersed them in just some topics around what where data was being used in other organisations, other businesses, the art of the possible, um, to really get them to start thinking about and more passionate about how data could help achieve the business outcomes but but talking about it in a business language that's really 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 useful to hear that and i think it aligns to many of our approaches i'd like to bring um i mean we certainly love to try and get people to think about data as culture we've we've run invested programs in that area Di, i'd like to bring you in um, if you quickly remind us about your scope at uh, of work at wpp i think it's actually really interesting to pick up on the culture point because you kind of got a group culture and then many subcultures, haven't you? Because you've got many different organisations. And you talk about telling stories with data, certainly you, something you talk about in your 
your role when you describe what you do. I mean, could you kind of elaborate on that and why it's important in a cultural context? Yeah, hi, Stu. Um, I mean, first, I agree with a lot of what Paul said, and I, and I love the relationship between culture and literacy. I think they absolutely need to always be together. They're both about people, um, and that's that's what drives the change and growth in any organisation. So at WPP, I've been in this role uh, since January last year, and I really wanted to make the central data and AI team about people. Uh, we're not creating a central data lake. We have created a data philosophy around data variety being our superpower. I'm very keen for people to realize the power's not in the data. It has no value data unless you do something with it, to it, blend it. So the role of data in a creative transformation company like WPP gives me such a great canvas to think more creatively about what data's out there. And the buckets, we've got three buckets in our team. So the first one is discovering curation. What do we have versus what do we need? So we're cataloging and inventorying our data. The second one is what we're here to talk about today. So enablement and education. And we have got massive, massively ambitious plans. I didn't really know how ambitious it was till I started talking to other people about it. And I think I would have knocked a zero off my KPIs. But, you know, we've, we've promised to deep skill 5,000 data practitioners by the end of this year and to demystify AI for 50,000 of my 100,000 colleagues by the end of this year. And we've got um, we've got other programs going on, but I do I can't help but feel as someone who was in the digital world at the end of the 1990s that the the pathway to literacy and culture change is a similar one between data now and digital then. So I mean, it's interesting. You you've got a culture and and a massive commitment, I guess, from a senior level to make that investment in staff who are already well, recognised for being creative leaders and probably also pretty competent at using data in different ways, uh, but kind of shifting that towards the, the fourth industrial revolution, as, as a lot of people are calling it, where we are increasingly going to be working with machines. But, I mean, I suppose one of the things that makes an agency perhaps different, if you pardon me for a second on this one, to an established company, is that you're constantly being pushed by customers to evolve and adapt and innovate and do things new all the time. Whereas in an established company, you've got something of an, an instilled culture already. So if you've got, and this is a question back to Paul, if you've got a kind of established culture and company and you've got systems and practices that are ingrained in a particular way, how do you get that workforce to change what they're doing? I mean, what, what's the kind of things that... you you need to do to disrupt them or maybe that's too aggressive but I don't know but but to kind of get them to to work differently so I think I mean just picking up on on Dai's point around storytelling um there's a number of ways you can you can tackle it but but the big part of it is about engagement you need to be getting out and engaging people in in the way that's right for them and and I've I've said to a number of people is that you know for if you take people out in our branches, if I uh, were to go and say, right, today we're going to have a conversation about data and its importance, then uh, immediately I've lost pretty much everybody in the room. So the storytelling piece becomes really important. And if I if I use an example where we were having a bit of a challenge with the quality of data around mobile phone numbers and email addresses and um, had had real difficulty in terms of getting an improvement in the accuracy and consistency of that data. Nationwide is a member-centric organization. As a building society, our customers, we called the members, 
were uh, shareholders effectively in the organization. And every employee cared passionately about our members. So one of the opportunities we had was there was a particular uh, tragedy that occurred in the UK where at that time, nation at the time it happened, Nationwide wanted to get in contact with its members to offer them financial support and advice. And for 70% of our members who were impacted, we didn't have a mobile phone number or an email address. So what we did was um, a little while after that event, we shared this story with our customer facing colleagues and we you know the, the tagline was imagine if we had had that information for those customers we would have been able to help 70% more of our customers in their time of greatest need and boy did that have a significant impact on quality and consistency and completeness of mobile phone numbers and email addresses from that way forward. So I think you need to think about it. You have to have different strategies to disrupt, but a key one of our themes was to change the narrative from the historical um, stories around where how bad data was, where we'd had data projects that had failed and create a new narrative that talked about successes but also tried to get changed by bringing stories to life that people cared about, not, ironically, not really talking about data. Yeah, okay. I mean, that's so I think making it contextually relevant is a huge part of that. And it's interesting, I mean, to weave in the, the, the I mean, of course, I think Nationwide is the largest mutual in the, in the world, isn't it? Um, it? It is, yeah. So both big companies. I mean, Nationwide, I don't know how many employees in Nationwide, but uh, probably many, many thousands. Yeah, it's around around seventeen thousand. Yeah. Okay, so pretty big, and and then WPP massive. I mean, okay, the majority of UK companies certainly are not like that. Ninety nine percent of UK companies are SMEs. If you're a small business, or an even a medium sized business, a few hundred people, you might not have a head of data and AR. You might not have a chief data officer, um, or access to a film studio or podcasts or <laughs> or all this kind of stuff. What can you do if you're a small business? How would you go about it, Di? That's such a great question. I mean, there's so much that we do that we have to scale it all, but it could be totally transferable to a small business. So um, I launched a data and AI community last year because I really felt like data people needed a stage and a platform to meet other data folks. You know, we talk about data being in silos. Data people are often in silos and the practitioners are often in silos too. And I really wanted to create an inclusive environment where everyone's welcome. So it's not just a, we do geek out, but everybody's welcome. So it's anyone who wants to learn about data or AI. That's the only thing I let people talk about apart from my random intros and the webinars. So we have over 3000 members now and we do series of webinars. We do it on Teams. That's, uh, you know, every single person in any company has a platform where they could book a meeting and invite people. And we've done uh, the history of AI and we talked about where AI had evolved from. We've just done a six part data philosophy series where I, I, I interview somebody or they get to present. And then we have between one and 300 of our 3000 community members. We do challenges which again any company can do the prizes that we offer are totally rubbish but they get senior level support so we will put a data set in our catalog and then set a business challenge around it so we did one round euro 2020 we put in uh, weather data 
and we said blend it with any other data set theme around Euro 2020 and create a digital campaign for an imaginary customer and they blended wind data with stadium data and created a fictional campaign for a beer company that impacted price. But your resource to do this, Di, like, I mean, this is great. A smaller company, yeah, maybe they could do some of these things. But again, arguably, you're empowered to do this across operating companies. Uh, what about a company of 250 people? Paul, if you're going, you're, you're starting a smaller company soon. Um, tell us a bit, I mean, how are you going to do something like what Di's doing there? You, you might not have resources or lots of people. What, what are you going to do? In a smaller organisation, you need to make really good friends with the comms people and the HR people. Um, a small medium enterprise will always have a HR function and they'll always have some comms capability. Because to pick up on Dai's point, you know, some of the biggest successes uh, we had at, at Nationwide and some of the principles I'll be taking to my new business are it is about communication, communication. It is about trying to get people to start to work together. So some of the things that we did, for example, we did a, a speed dating event, a data speed dating event, where basically we just said, look, there's going to be five people from the data team. They're going to decamp into what was Nationwide's atrium. We had a big sort of lobby area. And you can book on um, and just come and they'll tell you a little bit about what they do. And you literally got 10 minutes. They talked about what they did and then everybody moved to the next table. And that was that was coordinated by some people who were doing some comms work for us. You know, all we had to make sure was that the people who knew a bit about data actually turned up and talked about what they were doing. So there's some really simple things you can do there. And people are, you know, generally quite interested. So I would say the comms and, and HR people are really good to connect with in any organization and just start to try things. You know, you can, you know, various messages you can start sharing about, um, you know, we, we created a little data and analytics hub. We started sharing news items on our company uh, SharePoint site, our intranet site, just to start to increase the prominence and, and get people a little bit interested in some of the things that data can do. So comms and HR. That's super helpful. And I, and I guess um, to your point, it's about doing what you can with the resources you've got, but actually there are lots of things you can do. I'd like to switch tack now and discuss i don't know a bit a bit more the risks what happens if you don't do data literacy so if you just ignore it and just continue as is i mean what what's if you if your business is not paying attention to that what's going to happen die what are the risks well i think you pack your bags and you leave your desk i mean i i think <laughs> the role of data in every organization it may not have exactly the same role it may have multiple roles but without data you can't really know your customers properly and if you don't know your customers then you're not going to stay relevant so um i think the level of literacy it's really important in so many ways because i talk about people being gatekeepers of data if people who traditionally have kept the data to themselves they know they're in an, a data literate organization they're more likely to share the business and IT or the data guardians are more likely to be able to work together and pivot around the customer and not around the data or the tech or the department. And, and the role of data in that is the, is the glue that holds everything together. Whatever the cultural literacy or need or type of customer, you do need to know your customer. And that, that's always been true. It's great to hear you say that. I mean, we we evangelize not hoarding data we our theory of change i know is something you've you've invested time and effort to adapt to your company culture 
and Paul would love to share that with you separately. I mean, I think the it's interesting. I, I kind of look at the the journey of the early days of IT, and 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 my observation was that before the dawn of chief information officers, you know, you, you might disagree with the next statement, but I kind of observed a lot of IT directors built kind of ivory towers that have where people didn't really understand what they were doing. And as a result, they kind of built up incredible power, but actually there was quite a few risks created in the organizations because not no one else really understood it. And their language around that area became, you know, the, the classic kind of three-letter acronyms that no one really understood about what they were doing in that area. And I fear, I fear that in, there's a risk of the sim, same sort of thing happening in data, although I think if you get data literacy right, you can prevent that. And actually a data literate workforce at varying degrees um, can drive huge benefit to your customers, to, to your point. So, so I mean, but, but but what about from your perspective, Paul? I mean, if you if you you're obviously going to a, a small smaller organisation, I'm guessing that it's a very it may, may be a very digital organisation. Tell us a bit more about how you think data literacy is going to be important and why it's going to be critical to that organisation. So I think you know the the, the company I'm going to have um, been around I think for around six seven years. Um, they have uh, grown very quickly. Uh, and one of the things that, and one of the exciting things about the opportunity, and the reason, primary reason I'm going. Can you say really, who they are, Paul? Can you, or... uh, yeah, I, th- I believe so. Yeah, it's for a company called First Central Insurance. Uh, so they're a car insurer. And the primary reason I was attracted to First Central was uh, in a conversation with the CIO, he talked about actually they've taken a really, I think, quite innovative and exciting approach to how they've built out their operational systems, um, which means that there's not a huge amount of legacy. Now, coming from a 150-year-old mutual organization, uh, pretty much every single system that could possibly have been there was there. So there was a huge amount of legacy systems and data to have to deal with. So one of the things I'm really attracted to about First Central is that that legacy won't, uh, won't exist, so I'm told. And actually, the conversation with the CIO was look, we've, we've started to capture lots of this data. We've, we've got a really rich data set, but we as an organization, in order to support our continued growth and better serve our customers, we need to make better use of that data. We need to drive more value and we need to work about how do we enable our, our colleagues to be able to provide value for the business and for our customers. So that for me was you know, this is the perfect opportunity for me because that was all the ingredients um, I'd, I'd want to hear. So, so the opportunity is is there to go in and help that organise, help for Central, to um, to do exactly that, drive more value. And there will be some technology investment, um, but there'll also be, uh, for me particularly, a big focus on the uh, people-related change that we need to make to help drive that level of literacy um, and a more data-enabled culture. Thanks both of you for that for that comment there. So, I mean, we've got we've got a few minutes left in the discussion and before we we do kind of conclude it is there anything you know if you were to pick out some kind of aha moments where you feel you've made breakthroughs die in I mean you've been in role now what is it two years at WPP three yeah nearly nearly two two. and I'd, I'd always go to the storytelling I mean I've got a work experience working for me at the moment and I said go come back in a week with three interesting data stories I, of course, sent her to the ODI website and that, you know, she really enjoyed that. I was like, go go and read some of these and tell me three things that interested you. And I could see the increase in her language and her literacy just by reading from um, some stories around non-work related to build on a pool that 
uh, point that Paul made earlier about it didn't actually have data in it. It's not talk. It's it's not data. It's talking about data. And um, I really enjoyed I really enjoyed watching her go through that process. So that's what I'd say. Nice story and example to hear. Thank you. What about yourself, Paul? If you look back on certainly nationwide before you start your new role, if you th- breakthrough moments, you talked about edu- taking executives off site to educate them, get them to see examples of other things. Any other examples of things you think have been particularly powerful? Yeah, I think for me, the, there was a key decision I made around uh, creating a role, which I called um I called it actually data customer success. It was, if you think about a customer success role in a software company where their their role is about helping, uh, in their case, customers get value from the investment they've made, uh, I created a role internally and I, I um, recruited into that role a super smart graduate who'd rolled off our grad, one of our grad programs. She was uh, energetic, really driven, um, knew about some of the data systems we were using, but... Um, with her being in a dedicated role, it meant that this wasn't, you weren't trying to do this at the side of the desk. And I think that's 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 a risk because when we first started, we we had a really willing band of volunteers who stepped forward and said, we'll help to create this community. But they also had day jobs and there was some great initial energetic progress and then it started to tail off. So if, you, if you're in an organization that, you know, has sufficient scale, I would say this is a critical role. If you can have somebody who is worrying about this day to day and it's their day job, it makes a transformational difference. Well, I think that's a, that's a nice point to close on. I mean, not every organization can dedicate a single role to data. Uh, however, I think you have both very clearly made the case, and, and, and myself and, and, and the ODI would, would obviously support this, that you need to have a culture of data in your organisation. And if we just accept for a moment that literacy is the ability to identify, understand, interpret, create, communicate and compute using printed and written materials. I've just found that one online, but I mean, I looked at a few different ones. I kind of think we just have to accept that as we move into a, an increasingly digital world, more so in the last year than ever before, um, data is the kind of backbone of that digital world. And we all just have to get on board and up our our ability to be data literate. Um, however, data literate that might be in different in different roles. Um, and on that note, I'd like to to thank both of you. Thank, thank you, Paul French. And uh, thank you, Di Mays at WPP. Wish you all the best in your in your new role ahead. Paul. Before we say goodbye, a quick reminder that if you'd like more information on the topics we've we've covered today, or if you need some, some guidance about how to address data literacy in your organisation, uh, do check out the ODI's blogs and our resources. We will include links in the show notes for this episode, which you can find on the podcast webpage. And please do follow us on social media as you choose to at ODIHQ uh, and visit our website at theodi.org. Thank you very much everyone for listening uh, we look forward to seeing you or having you join us or listen to us at some point in the future thanks very much thanks everyone mm-hmm.